0: are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton Ontario For more information about our church please visit harvestbrampton.ca Jesus you are the king of kings and because of your humility and willingness to give everything for us we can stand in this gymnasium in 2018 and sing that you are holy, that you are worthy of all of our praise. God, we thank you for sending your Son to do what we could not do, to to save us, to live a perfect life, and to die on the cross for our sins, and then to rise from the grave to show that sin had been paid for, so that now we can sing your praises, so that now we can be in your presence, so now that... We can have you with us at all times in everything. And God, thank you that not only have you done all of that, but you've also given us the Bible. You've given us a word. You have not left us to try to figure out life on our own. You've spoken. And so I pray now as the Bible is open, people would hear you. Your sheep would hear you speaking. From your word and God, I pray because the Spirit is in us that we would obey the word that we hear, we would go from here and believe that the things that you are telling us to do, that doing those things, we can do them, and that only good is going to come from doing them. So God help us in these ways. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. As you're sitting, you can open your Bibles to 2 Samuel. Chapter 2, we are back in our series called Searching for a King. If you do not have a Bible, one of our ushers would love to give you a Bible. All you got to do is put your hand up and they'll give one to you as they come. So 2 Samuel chapter 2. Um, have you ever gone through something, you had an experience, and as you're going through it, you find yourself wishing that a certain person in your life was there with you. You're just thinking... If this person was here, this thing that I'm going through would not be as difficult. It would not be as challenging. When I was still playing football, back when I had two good knees, I got injured and had to be taken off the field in an ambulance. So I got hit. The guy hit me like dead in the neck, and I lost feeling in my arms, and I lost feeling in one of my legs. And so, as I'm on the field, on, like they're putting me on the stretcher and getting ready to load me into the ambulance, as I as I got into the ambulance, as we're driving to the hospital, even when I was in the hospital, I found myself saying, thinking, "This would be a lot easier if my mother was here." Oh, you said, oh. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, if my so I was in Halifax when this happened, and my mom was here uh, in Mississauga, and I was thinking, if she was here, this would not be as challenging it would not be as terrifying now as Christians we never have to think like that or feel like that about God there is never a moment in our life at any point where God is not with us and when we when we think about that and get that into our minds that should be a huge blessing it should be a massive blessing when we think about how complicated and difficult and messy and con- confusing life can be. See, David's life up to this point in the book of Samuel has been very hard. It's been very confusing. It's been very difficult. But the thing that got him through all of it was the fact that God was with him. And not only that, his belief in the fact that God was with him. It's not that God was just with him. He believed that fact. Psalm 23, he wrote this. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through a very dangerous world, a very confusing place, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He believed that. God's presence in David's life made all the difference. Our passage is going to show that. And David's God is our God. He was with David and he is with us. The question is, Do we believe that? I found myself multiple times this week just realizing I have lots of moments where I don't believe that. That God is with me. But when we believe that God is with us, that will make all the difference in our lives. We're going to see that it will make a difference in the way we make decisions. That it makes a difference in the way we endure opposition. It makes a difference when we are waiting on God's promises. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, after this, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? So David here is talking to God. He, he asks God for direction. This is our first point. God is with us so we can seek his direction. Saul's death makes it possible now for David to move around him and his men with much more freedom. And so David is thinking of leaving Ziklag, but he, he doesn't want to move. He will not move until he's gotten an answer and direction from God. He's like a pilot at takeoff. Nothing is happening. He's not taking that plane off until he gets some direction from the tower. It says that he inquired of the Lord. See, David trusts God. He believes believed that God was with him, and so he's leaning on God. He's not trying to do things on his own. So much of the pain and difficulty that come into our lives is because we try to do things on our own. We don't seek God's direction. We we just do whatever we want. We take things into our own hands, but David is not doing that. He's asking for help and direction, and God answers him. Look at verse 1 again. It says, And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, to which shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. And so David here asks and God answers him. See, God is with us, but he's not with us and just hanging around. He's not with us and passive. He is actively involved and engaged in our lives. And so he gives David direction and David obeys. Look at verse 2. It says, so David went up there. Verse 3, and David brought up with him men who were with him everyone with his household and they lived in the towns of Hebron so David follows God's instruction he does what God says and here we see why David is the ideal king to lead the people and not Saul when you when you when you follow if you've been tracking the series Saul is always doing whatever he wants He's never asking for God's direction. He's just doing whatever he feels like. See, David, David. his example is the one we want to follow. His example is the one we can follow, especially when we're facing difficult decisions, decisions in our family, decisions in our work, decisions in our ministry, decisions in our small groups, in our church, in our relationships. Maybe you've got, you, you're in a, you're, You've got someone in your life and you're sensing, I might need to be, I might need to say something to this person. Don't do anything until you've asked God for divine direction and guidance. Whatever you have in front of you, whatever decision you've got to make, ask God, stop. Go to God in prayer or by opening the Bible and, say, and saying, God, show me, tell me what you want me to do. And when God answers, when he makes it clear what to do, then we obey. We do what David does. We we obey by the power of the Holy Spirit. So David follows God's instruction. And when he gets to Hebron, they anoint him king. Look at verse 4. It says, and the men of Judah came. And there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Once this happens, then. David reaches out to the people in Jabesh Gilead and he says, you've been very great, good to Saul. He prays for them and then he says, now come under my leadership. He asks them to switch their allegiance to him. See, David does this because there's a division in the kingdom and he's trying to unite the kingdom. He wants to bring unity where there's disunity. But that's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for him to do this because as David is crowned king in Judah, Abner is crowning his own king. Look at verse 8. It says, but Abner, the son of Nair, the commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over, and he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. In doing this, Abner is opposing David. He's he's like, I don't want you as king over me. He's opposing David. And this takes us to our second point, which is God is with us so we can endure opposition. God is with us so we can endure opposition. See, Abner knows David is God's anointed, but he installs Ishbosheth as king. He puts him up, really, as a puppet king, we're going to see. In doing this, he's opposing the rule, really, and will of God. It says Abner took him, that he brought him, there in verse 8, that he made him king. All these verbs make it very clear that Abner is the one who is in charge. Abner is in full control. Of everything, And he does not want to give up control. He doesn't want to come under God's rule. So much of the opposition that the church faces today is from this fact. That people, just like Abner, do not want to come under the rule and direction of God. And so they oppose anyone who tells them that they need to humbly submit themselves to God and come under the rule and leadership of Jesus Christ. They will oppose us when we do that. But we can endure the opposition. And the reason why we can endure the opposition is because God is with us and he will strengthen us and comfort us as we do what he's called us to do, which is to proclaim the truth. That all people need to submit and trust in Jesus Christ. He is the true king. And we need to stop pretending like we are king. Like we can figure it out all on our own. We cannot. We need God's help. And so Abner opposed, opposition starts a war between the kingdoms. And there's a battle A battle is drawn up between Abner and Joab, and Joab's army wins. And then Abner has to flee for his life, and Joab's brother Asahel pursues him to kill him. Abner doesn't want to kill him, but eventually, in self-defense, he kills him. Look at verse 22. It says, And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear so that the spear came out at his back. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. They stood still because they were sickened by what they are seeing. This is one of the most gruesome times in the history of Israel. And it's because everyone keeps acting like their king. Everyone continues to do what is right in their own eyes. We don't want to live our lives that way. We don't want to do what is right in our own eyes. We want to do what is right in the eyes of God. And because the Spirit of God is in us, we have the power to do what's right in the eyes of God. God, we simply say, God, you have shown me, give me the power and the ability to do what you have said. I don't want to trust myself. If I try to trust myself, I'm going to make a mess of things. And so you lead me. You give me the power to do what's right in your eyes. Ishbosheth, his relationship with Abner eventually falls apart. He accuses Abner of sleeping with Saul's Concubine, this gets Abner very upset, and so he switches sides. He switches to David's side. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. It says, Then Abner was very angry over the word that Ishbosheth uh, and said, Am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers, and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. And yet you charge me today with a fault concerning. A woman? God do so to Abner and more also if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him. To transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. So he promises. Now Abner promises, I'm, I'm going to go help David. He's angry. He doesn't like that, uh, that maybe Ishbosheth spoke the truth in, in, in his life, called him on something that he did. And so he switches sides and David welcomes his help verse 12 says and Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf saying to whom does the land belong make your covenant with me and behold my hand shall be with you to bring over all Israel to you and he said this is David good I will make a covenant with you so David and Abner, they partner together, together and it looks like unity is going to come, that the kingdom is going to be unified. And so they meet eventually, and they have a dinner, and they celebrate, and then he sends Abner away in peace. But when Joab finds out, he is upset. Not just a little frustrated, upset with the king. Look at verse 24. Then Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away so that he is gone? He's like, what are you doing? You know that Abner the son of Ner came to deceive you and to know you're going out and you're coming in. And to know that all that you are doing. When Joab came out of David's presence, so he kind of screams at him and then he storms out of his presence. He sent messengers after Abner. And they brought him back from the cistern. But David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Abner opposed David. And now we see Joab opposing David. He kills Abner in a sinful act of revenge. And when David finds out about it, he distances himself from Joab and he weeps for Abner in the process. Look at verse 28. It says, afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I, am, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord and for the blood of Abner, the son of Nair, May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all His father's house, and may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge, or who is leprous, or who holds a spindle, or who falls by the sword, or who lacks bread. Verse 31, then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn for Abner. And the king followed the bearer. They buried Abner at Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. David makes it very clear here. He's like, I I have nothing to do with this. I'm not a part of this wickedness that has taken place. See, Abner opposed him, but he never took things into his own hands. He never tried to kill him. That's why verse 37 says, So all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner, the son of Nair. This was not... David's will. Again, he's not taking things into his own hands. God has made a promise to him, but he's, he's, he's trusting the Lord. See, David is not taking things into his own hands, but other people around him keep doing that. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, when Ish- Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died at Hebron, his courage failed him. He loses all confidence when he realizes now that Abner is gone. Ishbosheth is like that, a team that's got a star player, and at the beginning of the season, everything looks great. But then, the first game of the season, the star player goes down. It'd be like if the Toronto Raptors lost DeMar DeRozan on All Star Weekend. All confidence would be gone. He loses all confidence. And then he is, Ishbosheth is murdered by two of his own men. They, they attack him in his home and then they take his head to Hebron. They go to David and they think, when we get there and we tell him what, he's, what we've done, when we tell him the wicked thing that we've done, the evil that we've done, they think that they're going to get in good with David. They think it's somehow going to gain them opposition and a position in his kingdom. See, they're opportunists. They think David lacks integrity like they do, but David never wanted their help, nor did he need their help. Look at verse 9. But David answered, Rachab and Bana his brother, he says, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity, when one told me, Behold, Saul is dead, and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and killed him at Ziklag which was the reward I gave him for his news? How much more when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house, on his bed, shall I not now require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? David says, what you have done is wicked. I don't don't need your help. And then as king, he executes judgment and punishment on them for their Wickedness. David didn't need their help because he was trusting God to fight his battle. In Psalm 35, he says, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. David, when people oppose him, he asks for God's help. He's not trusting himself. He is trusting God, I mean, you got to think about this. If these guys were willing to do this to their current leader, what would stop them from doing this to David when they have an opportunity? See, sometimes the person that comes into your life and they show up and they're acting like they're for you, sometimes they're not for you. They're really just opportunists. They see an opportunity to take advantage of you, and so they're pretending like they're for you, but they're not for you. But here's the thing. God is with us, and so I can turn to God and say, this person is in my life, and I don't really know what's going on with them. Give me wisdom and discernment to know. Should I let this person close to me? Should I let should I let this person be a part of my life or is this someone who's just trying to take advantage of me? They see an opening, they see an opportunity and they're trying to use me. Show me, God. We turn to the Lord cuz sometimes people are trying to use us. There are there's all kinds of opportunists out there and we need to be wise and we need to ask God for help and discernment in these things. David believed that God was fighting for him. He doesn't need their help. That's why in verse 9 he says, God has redeemed my life out of every adversity. God is doing his thing in my life. I trust him. I don't need you to do wicked things to get me the thing you think that I want. Because he trusted God. God gave him the strength and ultimately gave him the integrity to endure the opposition that was in his life. See, when we believe that God is with us, it doesn't just change the way we live spiritually. It also changes the way we live morally. It doesn't just change our spiritual living. It also changes our moral living. See, when people oppose us. When we believe God is with us, we can act in integrity towards them. We don't turn to sinful ways and sinful methods to get back at them. We simply entrust it to God. We say, God, you are with me. This person is opposing me. I don't want to do anything sinful and wicked towards them. So I'm entrusting it to you. God, you take care of it. And you give me the strength to endure this opposition. So many people in this chapter act like they're for David, but they're out for themselves. There's so much evil that's going on here. When you, if you get home today, read from 2 all the way to 5 in all its detail. And you will see all kinds of evil and wicked things. And the reason why that is happening is because everyone keeps acting like they are king. Instead of trusting God and his chosen king. We see people acting like they're king, but we also see the innocence of the king. David is innocent here. He doesn't, he doesn't murder anyone, and he doesn't organize the murder of anyone. He actually grieves. He grieves for those who opposed him. He, he honored them. He, it says that he buried Abner at Hebron. David buries him in the royal city. See, sometimes people oppose us and we, we're, we're harsh, we're, we're, we're mean, we're rude to them. But even when we're being opposed, we've got to ask for the Spirit's power and help just to still treat those people who are opposing us, who are against us with respect. And honor and dignity, even though they're opposing us, they're made in the image of God. It's another human being in front of us. And so even in the midst of opposition, we can still treat those people with respect and honor. God is calling us to do that. It's another picture here of why David is the ideal king and Saul is not He's not grasping for the entire kingdom. He is waiting. When you believe that God is with you and that he has a good plan for your life, you don't manipulate and try to manage things to get into roles and get things for yourself. You wait patiently on the Lord. When you believe that God has a good plan for you, he waits patiently. And because he waits and trusts, God blesses him for that. Look at chapter five, verse one. It says, then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them. At Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. God is with us, so we will experience his promise. That's point number three. We will experience his promise. David is anointed king. In verse one, it says, All the tribes of Israel come and do that. In verse three, it says, All the elders of Israel come and do that. The writer here wants us to know that everyone is coming under the rule and reign of David as king. God's promise to him is fulfilled. The people even mention the promise. Look at verse 2 again. It says, And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. They say, David, God promised you that this day would come. He promised you that you would experience this, and now his promises to you are being fulfilled. And you gotta imagine David's relief in this moment. You gotta imagine just how much relief probably showered over him as he he hears this, as he experiences this reality. His life has been so hard, he's experienced so much suffering and opposition. People plotted and schemed against him. Think, Saul, for no reason, what chases him for years. He tries to murder him multiple times. David has to hide in caves, running for his life. Then Saul is removed, and then Abner comes. And Abner sets up this puppet king. And then he's got to wait. And then him and Abner work it out. And then they agree, and it looks like everything is going to work out. And then Joab comes, and he kills Abner. And he's got to wait again. Do you know that it takes 14 years for David to get to this point? When you track the story, it's 14 years when he's told you're going to be king to when he becomes king. Sometimes, and maybe you do this, when I read the Bible, when I read chapter 4, and I read chapter 5... I think it's going from Sunday to Monday. (laughs) It's not. Sometimes there's years in between. See, experiencing the promises of God is not like ordering from Pizza Pizza, Skip the Dishes, or Uber Eats. Those things, when you order, they show up quickly. I don't know anyone that's ever waited for 14 years for an order to show up. But the promises of God is not like that they will be fulfilled but David had to wait years and this is such a good lesson for us the good things that God has promised to do in our life sometimes takes years they take years but here is what we have to keep in mind as we are waiting even though it's taking long for that thing to come that we are hoping on God is still with us in the waiting. He is with us in the waiting. We are not alone as we wait. He's with us, caring for us, guiding us, strengthening us. And so passages like these encourage us to keep trusting, to wait patiently on the Lord, asking for him to help us wait believing that he is going to do the good things that he has promised. When we wait patiently, it's a clear sign. We believe God is with us. When we wait and we talk to him, when we cry out to him and we say, I'm waiting, God. But I'm trusting as I'm waiting. I'm trusting in you that you know what you are doing and that you are good and that you are working for my good. So David David is established king, and then he quickly captures Jerusalem, He makes that his capital city. Then he brings peace to the people of Israel by defeating the Philistines. Look at verse 25. It says, and David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines. And then verse 10 tells us why all of this is happening. It says, and David became greater and greater. For the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. God was with him. Him. I've said this in another message in this series, and I'll say it again. David's success has nothing to do with David. It has everything to do with who is with David. God is with him. That's why he's experiencing success, and David's God is our God. And he is with us, which should give us confidence every day that we wake up. Because we get up, and we look at the day, and we say, Day? I don't have to face you by myself. Why? Because God is with me when I go out the door. And when I go out the door and the problem rolls in, I go, problem? I don't have to face you by myself. Why? Because God is with me. And I'm talking to myself when I say that. Because all this week there's problems. And I can, but I, I wasn't turning to God. I wasn't believing in the midst of the trouble that God was with me. We can face the hard things because God is with us. And when we believe that fact, it makes all the difference. David clearly understands why he's experiencing success. Look at verse 12. It says, And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. God has exalted David. But notice that it says, For the sake of the people. David is in the leadership role, not for David. It's for the sake of the people, to care for God's people. Sometimes people get into leadership roles, and they think it's about them. If you are leading anything, if God has trust leadership to you, it's not about you. It's for the people you are leading. David is leading to shepherd and care for the people of God. So many times, so many pastors abuse the sheep because they think being in leadership is about them. If you are leading, it's because God has put you in the spot. And the thing he wants you to do is shepherd and care for his people. He does not want pastors. He does not want leaders to abuse the church. They are his sheep. And we are called to shepherd and care for the flock. David is not king because for him. He is king for the sake of Israel, for God's people. And so if you're leading anything, it's because you are are called to shepherd. It's not about you. Psalm 2 gives the best description of David's life to this point. It says, Why do the nations and the people plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. People plotted and schemed against David. The Bible said God was laughing when that was happening. God was not up there like anxious, what am I going to do now? He is relaxed. He is not anxious at the rebellion. He laughs at it. And he laughs because he knows that nothing will stop him ever from fulfilling his promise. No matter how much resistance there is to God, nothing can stop God. This psalm is fulfilled in David's life, but ultimately this psalm is fulfilled in the life Of Jesus Christ. Just like David. Jesus is the anointed one. And just like David. People, rulers plotted and schemed against Jesus. But God laughed. He laughed. Because he knows nothing can stop him from setting up his king. This part of the Bible points to the fact that one day. God's anointed and ultimate king, Jesus Christ, will rule the entire world. All people, all people will come under his rule. And those, those who have faith in Jesus Christ, those who believe that his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection was for our sins... Those who believe that Jesus did all of that to heal our broken relationship with God, that he did all of that to heal our broken relationship with one another and to ultimately heal the broken and messy world that we live in. Those who have faith in all of that will one day experience the blessing of being under the rule and leadership of Jesus Christ. God's promises, all of his promises on that day will be fulfilled to us. We will experience it. See, Jesus will rule over all. And he invites all people to come under his rule. Now, I know for some people to hear that invitation to come under the rule of Jesus Christ doesn't sound like good news. It doesn't sound exciting, but these chapters show us the mess We make of the world when we're in charge. Again, when you read it in all its detail, it shows us the mess we make when we try to be king. When you read it, you will see lying. You will see pride. You will see power plays. You will see betrayal. You will see murder. What you will see is our world. This is the place we live in. But we don't have to live like that. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have God with us. When we place our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in our hearts. And he gives us the ability to live transformed lives. If you have not trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, turn to Jesus. Today is the day to confess your sins and ask him To save you. God will come and be with you and change you. And he will save you and heal you from all the pain and difficulty that comes into our lives when we try to live like we are king. And if you have trusted in Christ, then you know and you need to know and believe that God is with you. There's never a moment He's with us at all times. That means then we can seek him for direction. Because he's with us, we can endure opposition. And because he is with us, there is a day coming where we will experience all of his promises. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave all so that we can have you with us. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for giving us your word that remind us of what is true. Sometimes we feel like you are not with us, but I pray we would look at your word and we would hear from other believers what is fact that you are with us. I pray, God, that we would not live a life where we are trusting our feelings. God, I pray we would live a life where we're trusting the facts, what is true, and the reality that you are with us. I pray, God, for that person who does not know you, does not have you, does not have Jesus as their Savior. I pray you would save them and call them into a relationship with you. And I pray, God, for those of us who know you and are walking with you. God, would we take deep encouragement from your word today that you are with us. Thank you, for that fact and that reality. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.